and um, uh, this is in Romans uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 11. And, uh, uh, and, and before, I, before I read the verse there, um, I want to give you an update on uh, Jerry, Jerry's twin brother, Jimmy, right? So he found uh, Jimmy uh, this week uh, unresponsive. Uh, he was at, at home working and just fell over, and his son was there. And so they called the EMTs, and his son knew CPR and was able to uh, uh, do CPR until the EMTs got there and took him to the hospital. And um, uh, I think the, the, uh, he had, well, it wasn't his stents, but um, uh, they're going to put a, I think his heart um, wasn't beating right, so they're going to put a, a uh, pacemaker and a defibrillator in him sometime this week. Um, but uh, they had put him in an induced coma, and um, um, but Jerry knows how to pray, right? And so he prayed for him, and um, uh, so he's doing good now. So he's responsive now and awake, and uh, they've taken him off all the stuff, and, and uh, they're just scheduling him to go in and put a, a pacemaker. But it was really close, you know. They almost lost him because he was uh, unresponsive there for a while at home. So, um, And so it's good to know the Lord, amen? It's good to know that even in a situation that God does, does not desire someone to leave this earth, this earth early, amen? And, uh, you know, they're only in their 70s, uh, and um, uh, that's still young, right? And so, um, so uh, and uh, Jerry's in good health, and, and so being twin brothers, you know, there's no reason why uh, for him to go home early and for Jerry to stay here. And they've been close all of their life there, and so being twins, that's, that's fairly common, especially identical twins, so they're identical twins. And um, and so, but that's going good. So we th- we're thankful to the Lord that uh, that He answers prayer. Amen. That He does. We can pray for people, uh, and um, you know. And I think, uh, in fact, I mentioned it on Wednesday. One of the things that Brother Randy was talking about on Tuesday is praying for people uh, in uh, in the area of sickness. And if you don't know anything about them, you always pray a hundred percent. Amen. Lord, a hundred percent recovery, hundred percent restoration. And uh, a friend of his had fallen ill, and, um, and he was going to go do that same thing, go pray for 100% recovery, pray for 100% uh, restoration. And the Lord said, no, you can't do that, you know. Uh, he, he has decided that he wants to come home, and so you can't violate somebody's will, right? So you can't override their will. Well, I w- this is what I want you to do instead of what you want to do. So you can't do that. Uh, so if the Lord tells you information that's, uh, that's different than, uh, that's unique to that person, then you have to go with what that person's desire is, amen? And so if that person wants to go home to be with the Lord, it would be inappropriate to pray otherwise, amen? Um, and so, uh, and that's what, the, it was a friend of his uh, that he'd known for many years that went home to be with the Lord. And so, so if the Lord does give you more information, then you go with that, right? Uh, but if he doesn't give you more information, then you can assume that, well, he didn't tell me anything else, so I'm going to assume that the Word of God will apply here and I can pray for their restoration. And so, that's what uh, Jerry did for, for his brother Jimmy. So, uh, and, uh, and so we thank God for the results there. So uh, in Romans uh, chapter 12, it says in verse 11, it says, uh, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And, um, of course, we can meddle a lot just a, at the beginning of that verse about not being slothful in business. Uh, you know, a Christian should be the hardest working person uh, in the company. Amen. Uh, they have the ability, the intelligence, the grace, the wisdom from heaven. Uh, to be a, a very hard worker, um, and so people should, uh, you know, any any employee, any employer should love to have Christians working for them, amen, because if, if we follow this verse, 
then we'll be the hardest working people in the bunch. Amen. And, you know, it's 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 really I, I really consider it a a um, an unfair advantage to be an employee as a Christian because you've got grace, you've got wisdom, you've got supernatural ability, you've got insight, uh, you've got the work ethic, you've got the ability to be not slothful in business. And so there, there's really no competition. Any employee, any employer would, should be glad to have a Christian, right, if they follow the Word of God. Some Christians love to say they follow the Word of God, but they're not the best employees. You know, they'll steal ink pens and steal paper, and, you know, they'll be slothful. And, and there's all kinds of phrases in the, in the workplace now. You know, there was a, oh, the, great, the great resignation, they called that, you know, because everybody quit work. And then everybody realized, you know, you still got to eat, right? And so they quit work, and they got some, gov- some government money, and then they go, wow, I got, we got to go back to work now. It's just awful. Uh, and now they, uh, they call it, uh, uh, is it quiet, quiet quitting? I think that's what it's called. Anybody know what Quiet quitting? We're basically you're lazy, right? And so you're not actually quit work. You're just sitting at, the, you know, you're checking your Facebook, you know, and, you know, people don't actually pay you to check Facebook, right, that you're paid to do work, right? And so uh, I know none of you all have ever done anything like that ever, right? But, um, of course, when I was uh, working as, a, as an engineer, Facebook didn't exist, right? There was a time when the Internet didn't exist. I know the kids today, you know, uh, my kids are all like, what, what's that mean? There was no Internet. You know, how'd you survive, right? Uh, and so, um, but, uh, uh, but he says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. And so in the fervent in spirit there is not, uh, not just your attitude, but it's, it's in your spirit, man, right? Fervent for the Lord, right? And that word fervent means to be, like on fire, boiling hot water, right? Uh, and that really should be our attitude as it, as, it, uh, as it relates to our relationship with the Lord, that, uh, that our very life is dependent upon our relationship with God. And we should be fervent in that, amen? And not easily swayed and not easily, you know, it's amazing um, how easily offended people are, right? Uh, and they're not fervent at all. They're fervent in their emotions, but they're not fervent in their spirit, man, you know? fervent and spirit man you can't offend me it's impossible if you you know the lord loves me right you can't hurt my feelings um, and so we should just love the lord with all that we are amen we should desire to do his will in every single thing it doesn't matter the cost it doesn't matter how painful it is how long it takes it just that's fervent in spirit right whatever it takes lord uh, and uh, and of course the paul told timothy to stir up the gift that's in you Right, so sometimes that, that fervency kind of gets a little dull, uh, gets a little bit, uh, wanes a little bit, you know, and we have to stir it back up, right, to get fervent in spirit. And, and it takes some effort on our part, right, and that's the part. If you're going to be fervent in spirit, it, it, uh, you, ever, you ever started a fire, right, and you, you're not, not like a forest fire. I'm just talking about like a campfire, right? Uh, anybody start a forest fire in here? Well, we, 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 there's a police department right over there. We'll, we'll get them in contact with you. But no, I'm just like a, you know, uh, that it, after a while, it it, it uh, burns up really hot, right? Uh, and um, I remember it wasn't long ago we were we were gonna burn some stuff. You know, we were working on this place and uh, we were gonna just burn some stuff. And we thought, you know, let's pile it up, and it probably won't get that big of a of a fire. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, I think every time I've thought that, I was so wrong. You know, I mean, every time I thought, you know, this fire can't get that big. You know, and then it's you know three stories tall. You know, you think, I hope it doesn't escape this little thing here. You know. Uh, and, and that's fervent right there, right? And, and um, uh, there's no smoke because, you know, the flames are like 30 feet tall. And so, uh, but, uh, but, you know, after a while, that will die down. Uh, and, and, you know, even the next day, if you come back the next day, it looks like there's nothing there. It looks like it's dull, gray. 
Uh, but if you go take a stick and stir that thing up, uh, it'll be hot for two or three days if you just let it there and don't, don't put any water on it. Um, and you can stir that flame back up and get that, uh, and you put anything back on it, it'll catch fire and, and, and burn anything else that you need to. Uh, and, you know, the Lord wants us to be that. And I understand we can be excessive and, you know, he's not home being crazy. You know, crazy Christians, you know, people just wacko, you know, just, I'm not talking about just being just, uh, and we all know what that is. We, you know, we don't have to put any labels on it in particular, but we all know, but just desiring everything that I know and understand that without the Lord, I am nobody and nothing. And that's being fervent in spirit. I need the Lord to breathe. I need the Lord to think. I need the Lord to get, get up every day. Without him, there's nothing I can do. Because Jesus even said that I can of mine own self do nothing. Jesus himself said those words, I can of mine own self do nothing. I can, nothing, nothing in my life is of any value without the Lord. And that's being fervent in spirit, you know. And, and, it's, and it, takes, it takes some effort to be that way. You have to stir it up. You have to, to believe that. You have to desire that. And if you'll do that, uh, it, it's the place that the Lord desires his church to be, fervent in spirit with him, amen? Whatever the cost, if, if you come to a crossroad in your life, and I can choose A, and it's not necessarily the Lord, or choose B, and it's 100% the Lord, you always choose B. It's never even a question, right? It, it's not, well, you know, sometimes you've got to choose A. See, that's not being fervent in spirit. Fervent in spirit, is, if it's the Lord, it's 100%. If it's not the Lord, it's not worth the effort. And, and, um, and it's easy it's easy to be that way if you really know and believe that the Lord desires to bless you. Amen? It, it, if you know the Lord's always got your back, if you know the Lord will always provide for you, it's easy to think, well, if I do this, I'm going to take a hit. But it's still the best thing to do. Versus, uh, well, I'm going to compromise a little bit so that I come out on top. Uh, but see, that's, if, you, if you, you have to compromise to get on top, then you don't believe the Lord will take care of you. Amen? I, I believe no matter you know, uh, what happens, if I do what I believe is right, I'll always be okay. And, and in that, you know, there are a lot of people who think that they've got one over on me. You know, they've got some money out of me or they took advantage of me. I never think that. I never think, wow, they really got one over me. I think, Lord, as far as I know, that was the right thing to do. They took advantage of me, but you've got my back. And I'd much rather have the Lord have my back, even if I'd, even if I'd made a mistake and done something or gave, gave money away to somebody that I maybe shouldn't have. Uh, I never regret it. I never think, wow, you know, because I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. What, what do you want me to do, Lord? And everything I have, all, all of my resources that I have, and whatever they are, uh, whether it's my intelligence or my money or my time or whatever it is, it all belongs to the Lord 100%. Uh, and that's being fervent in spirit. And so I'm never afraid. I'm never afraid to help, never afraid to give, never afraid to do anything uh, for anybody. And I remember one time, after my pastor died, you know, he and this was he died in 2007. You know, he was not a perfect man. Anybody met any perfect people yet? Uh, you know, except for my wife, I've not many many perfect people, right? Uh, and um, uh, and so you know, but our heart's desire was to bless him over these years, and you know, they received special offerings for him, and and uh, you know, I would I would give, and my wife and I would give, and and um, you know, we gave a lot of money to that church over the years. And after he died, somebody came up to me. Uh, that I went to church with for many years at that same church and said, wow, don't you wish you could get all that money back that you gave to him? And I thought, that's a terrible thing to say because I wasn't giving it to him. I was giving it because I believe with all my heart the Lord wanted me to give that money to him. Uh, and, and so what if he was wrong? What if he used it for the wrong purpose? It's none of my business. You know, if I, if I believe it's me for, my, for, for the will of God to do this, 
then what happens after that is none of my business. I, I, even if they did something wrong with it, which I don't know that he ever did anything wrong with it, but uh, but it was really just, you know, because I'm thinking, well, then you're only doing it to to get the glory from men, right? Remember we talked last week about doing good things, but don't do them to get the glory of men. You do them to make sure that God gets the glory. If you're doing something for somebody with the hopes that they recognize you and they thank you publicly and th- those types of things, well, then you're doing it for the wrong purpose anyway. Uh, and so I'm going to be fervent in spirit, and, and uh, you know, I'm always moving forward. And, and I say that phrase a lot, I'm always moving forward. Somebody does something to me, I'm moving forward. I'm not going to sit there and somebody does something to you, we'll, we'll stop and build an altar there and cry at this altar of victimhood for, for days, weeks, months, and years and complain about what they did. I'm moving forward. I ain't got time for that. You know, you do something wrong to me, I've got to move forward. I'll forgive you. I'll pray for you. I'm moving forward. I, I just, uh, I've got to move forward with the Lord Jesus, and, and uh, I'm going to be fervent in spirit and, and follow the Lord all, all the days of my life. Amen. And if, and if it gets a little dull, I'll stir it up. I'll poke it, you know, and start uh, declaring and confessing and, and uh, uh, singing louder and, you know, whatever it takes. Amen. Uh, and so I would encourage you, you know, just you're going to have to meditate on that yourself, right, about being fervent in spirit uh, and figure out uh, what that means for you, right? Uh, and it, it doesn't mean, you know, some people think being fervent in spirit is going down with a Bible on the corner of the street and preaching hellfire and damnation. You know, that, to me, that's not fervent in spirit. You can be fervent in spirit and, and just be right there on fire for God. Amen. You don't have to be telling people, you know, because I don't think the good news is not you're all dying and going to hell, right? I don't know how that's good news to anybody, but um, he said go into all the world and preach what? The gospel, right? You get in the church, I'll tell you how, what, uh, you know, what hell is. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you never talk about hell to people, but, uh, but anyway, uh, that, that is not, you know, some people think that's being fervent in spirit. I don't think that's being fervent in spirit at all. I think it's being kind of judgmental in my personal opinion there. So they didn't ask me. But if they did, that's what I would tell them. Well, you sound like kind of judgmental to me, but, you know, uh, anyway. So can we be fervent in spirit? You're going to have to stir it up yourself, though. I can't make you be that way. And God won't make you be that way. But, uh, but you can work at it. You can, Lord, whatever it takes, you know, whatever the cost, you've always got my back. Amen. And see, that's the way I think. No matter what the cost is, I mean, if I gave everything away, you know, and, and um, uh, well, since we're here, I'm going to, okay, we're going to read one more verse there because and there goes my paper there. I'm not going to pick it up yet. Um, and so, you know, the story with the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, we had mentioned this one time uh, with some other folks here. Uh, and, you know, the Lord said, sell all that you have, right, and give to the poor. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, people are thinking, well, God doesn't want you to have anything, right? Sell all that you told the rich young ruler, sell all that you have and give to the poor. He didn't say give it all to the poor, but give to the poor. So apparently, well, God must not want you to have anything. Same story, though, right? Same conversation. The rich young ruler leaves, and then Peter said, well, Lord, we gave up everything for you. You know, what about us? And Jesus said uh, there in verse 29, there is no man that had left house or brethren or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's sake. So what did he tell the rich young ruler to do? Sell your lands, sell your houses, right? Uh, Whatever it takes. Sell all that you have, your lands, your houses, whatever you've got. So, he, so the rich young ruler would have fell, fallen into this list, right? If you gave it up anything for my sake and the gospel's sake, uh, that's what Jesus said, you shall receive a hundredfold when? Now and this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the world and in the world to come eternal life. So he covered both the natural and the spiritual life there. Uh, but the Lord wasn't trying to get him to, to lose anything. 
The Lord was trying to get him more stuff because if he's a rich young ruler, then he has the capacity to help a lot of people. He is in a position to help a lot of people. And if he can get to where he's fervent for the Lord and whatever the cost, Lord, I'll give it all up to you. The Lord said, okay, then you're somebody that I can help and get more into your hands to help other people. And that was whole intent with a rich young ruler because that's exactly what he told uh, Peter in the, in the same conversation about the same event with the rich young ruler. And most people only preach the, the part that Jesus said to the man, but not what Jesus said to Peter about what happens if you did what the rich young ruler was supposed to do, right? And Jesus said, you only, you only one thing away, right? Do this one thing. And see, if you're, if you're fervent in spirit, and the Lord said to do that, no problem, Lord. I'll just take it all, right? And see, tomorrow you'd wake up and there'd be, he said, a hundredfold more, right? A hundredfold more. Uh, and so, anyway, praise God. The Lord is good. You can't, you can't uh, be too fervent in spirit, amen? And if you'll be fervent in spirit with the right heart and the right attitude, uh, the Lord will increase you and multiply you all the days of your life, amen? Uh, and so let's stand and greet each other for just a minute. We'll get into praise and worship. The words that he used, the dark and billowing clouds of the future roll in, and the world begins to wonder what's going to happen. And the people outside the church become fearful. Know this, says the Lord, that I have placed my bright and shining light into you. The light of my spirit is in your heart. And so be, as it were, the same light that Paul saw on the road to Damascus. That he described me as being a light, bright shining light, brighter than the noonday sun. I've placed in your heart a light brighter than the noonday sun. So as the world becomes full of darkness and the clouds of darkness and uncertainty engulfs the world, be the very light that I've placed in you. Be the light that shines in people's lives to give them direction the path to heaven. Be the light that I've placed in you, a supernatural light from heaven to be the answer for the woes of people. Not only the answers of eternal life, but the answers of miracles and signs and wonders. For I've placed that same light that Paul saw on the road to Damascus into each one of my people, into my children on the earth, knowing that the days to come will be full of the darkness of the enemy. For I am not fearful. My people should not be fearful. I have said in my word that when these things begin to come to pass to look up and rejoice for your redemption draws nigh my people have the right to be full of joy in the midst of calamity to be full of peace in the midst of confusion and to be full of light right in the middle of darkness that surrounds the world so be that light know of a certainty that I have been planning for this day for many years and none of these things take me by surprise. These days I have placed the church and my people specifically to be the light in these days. It was not a mistake that you are here at this time of history. So be the light and be full of joy knowing that your eternal destiny is with me in heaven. Thank you. Father, we will be that light. Father, we will shine more brightly. Father, fervent spirits will shine brightly in the world. We will not back down. 
we will not cower away, Father, from our call. We will not be ashamed of your gospel, Father. We will not be ashamed to be called children of the Most High God. Father, we will not be ashamed to say that sin is sin and darkness is darkness. For we are the only light the world will ever see. And that light is you, Father. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father. The world will see your glorious gospel of light. And they'll see it through the lives of your people. So, Father, we thank you. We give you all the praise and the honor for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, is the Lord good? We appreciate Him. Amen. You know, I, I just go through my day on a regular basis and just tell the Lord, thank you. You know, just thanking Him for just, sometimes I just say thank you, you know. And then sometimes I'll give Him a list of things, but just, I'm always just thankful for the Lord. Amen. And for His goodness and kindness and because I know he desires good things for me. Amen. I'm never uncertain about that. I'm never wondering, well, God, do you really want me to be blessed? He always wants me to be blessed. Amen. He wants me to be. Uh, he created the natural world, the spirit world, the soulless world. He wants me to be blessed in the natural world, the, the spiritual world, and the soulless world. Let's get them in the same order. If he created these three worlds, he wants me blessed in these three worlds. Amen. So many in the church always want to leave it only in one realm, the spirit realm. Uh, and, and they get mad because you want to include the blessings from heaven in all the realms that you reside in. Well, I didn't create these realms. God did. If he created these realms, he'd want me to be blessed in these realms. Amen. Uh, and it's just sometimes I wonder about people, you know, uh, God gave us a brain. But somehow uh, people stand at the back door, and say, please check your brain, put it over here because you're not allowed to have a brain in church. Right. And then when you leave, well, then you get your brain on the way out. And sometimes people get the wrong one. Right. Uh, and so. Um, I don't know what that even means, but, you know, <laughs> what, uh, we'll go on from there. Amen. Uh, and so let's open up our Bibles to the book of uh, Matthew, chapter 5. Uh, we're we are, uh, talking about uh, the Sermon on the Mountain. Of course, this is uh, the longest uh, dissertation that people gave, uh, that Jesus gave to the people, right? And, and of course, uh, he did it for chapters uh, 5, 6, and 7. And um, uh, so there's a lot of good information in here. And one of the things that we begin to see is that Jesus wanted to take the time. He wanted to slow down a little bit and start letting the people know that, hey, uh, you've lived under the old covenant for all of these years, centuries, right? About 2,000 years from the time of Moses till Jesus. So you've lived under the, this law for 2,000 years. And he said, there's a change coming. And you need to be aware, a change is coming. Uh, and and uh, one of the hardest things that people ever do is change. You ever notice that? They will stay with the same thing. I mean, just till forever, Right. I've been wearing this same shirt since I was in high school. You know, I'm never changing this shirt again. You know, I've been wearing these same clothes, you know. And of course, you know, guys, we love that, right? Because you wear the same way out of date clothes because eventually in 20 or 30 years, they'll come back in style, right? It's all retro. Now you call it retro, right? Now, oh, yeah, it's retro clothes, right? You know, well, it just means they're old. And, and so, uh, uh, but some people just hate change, just hate, hate change. And the nation of Israel hated change, right? They, they did not want to change, right? They fought it tooth and toenail, toenail and they, they went through, and some of them made it, right? Some of them transitioned into the new covenant. Uh, a lot of the regular people did, but the leadership didn't, right? The, the, the whole plan of the Lord from before the foundation of the world was he went to Abraham and said, I need somebody I can have a covenant with in the earth. 
and, and, and you know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I, but I just know in the Lord, I just know every generation from Adam, he'd go to somebody, hey, will you, will you have a covenant with me? I need a covenant of a man in the earth. I need somebody in the earth to do this. Because you remember over in Ezekiel 22, he said, I was looking for a person, a, a man to intercede. One man to intercede. He said, I found none. Well, if he can find one person to intercede, you know, for generation after generation, he couldn't find one person to have a covenant with. And finally, Abraham said, I'll take that deal. You know, so you're saying that if I just say yes, you'll bless me beyond imagination. Yeah, that's all I can do. Say yes. Yeah. Nothing else. No, that's it. And, you know, other people go, nah, I'm not going to do it. You know, can you imagine that? I'll bless you. Everything you do, I'll bless you. Right. You just got to say yes. And Abraham's like, I'll take that deal. I'll take it. You know, and the Lord blessed him. Right. He's said, I'll make you the, I have made you the father of many nations. He changed his name. Uh, and so uh, and, and then they were the people. We don't have time to go into why the Lord had to pick a people, you know, that gets into some authority and the, and the work of the enemy at the time. But then the, the nation of Israel grew out of Abraham, became this great nation of faith, carriers of the covenant of God all the way through the history. Uh, and and uh, it was always the Lord's intent that, you know, my plan is I've got to get my spirit into into humanity. I've got to get my spirit into their spirits. That's that's the. The end game, and in fact, uh, uh, hang on to Matthew chapter 5, but turn over to, to Galatians chapter 3. The end game of, of redemption is right here. A lot of times people want to focus on sin and even being born again, right? Uh, getting our spirits made brand new uh, as, as the end game of redemption. That's not the end game of redemption. Galatians chapter 3 tells us this. Of course, we like verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Curses everyone that hangeth on a tree. So did he redeem us from the curse of the law? Did he redeem us from the blessings of the law? Uh, <laughs> uh, he did not bless. He did, there's nothing that says he redeemed us from the blessings of the law. So if there are any, any blessings in the old covenant, do they still belong to us? Well, sure they do, right? Because he never said, well, you can't have blessings anymore. Those blessings are old now. The church loves to say all the blessings of God have expired. And, and, and uh, that's not true. Uh, but he did redeem us from the curse of the law. So if you see a curse in the old covenant, does it apply to you? No, you've been redeemed from that curse, right? But then he says, verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So he wanted to get the Spirit of God in you. That was the goal of redemption. Uh, in order to do that, he had to take care of sin. He had to make sure that you got born again. He had to go to the cross. He had to do a lot of things. But the end game is, I want my spirit in them. I want my spirit to be in them. Everywhere they go, the same spirit that created all of the universe is in them. Everywhere they go. Same power, right? Now, how much power is that? That's a lot. I mean, you know, we, we've, got, we've got 120 volts right here or so in that, in that plug right there. Well, you compare that plug to the sun, how much difference is there? There's a huge difference, right? When you compare the sun to the, to the Lord, how much power is there? The Lord created that sun by speaking into existence. Just said, be, light be. Bam, there's a sun, right? Yesterday there wasn't a sun, today there's a sun. Now, and the Lord, the Lord did that by His Spirit. That lives on the inside of you. That was the goal of redemption, right? That was the plan of redemption. And the plan was to have this people that would carry the law of God, to have a place where God could come in and dwell, His presence on the earth, get them used to that, and then transition in the old, in, from the Old Testament to the New Testament and say, now that you're born again, now I'm going to put all this power on the inside of you 
now go on in the rest of the world outside of this country and tell everybody that I love them and I want them to be with me for all eternity and let me get on the inside of them. That was the plan, that the nation of Israel was supposed to be the carriers of the gospel. And they didn't do that, right? I mean, some of them did. Most of the early uh, apostles were Jewish, of course. Most of the leadership of the church were Jewish, but they weren't the leadership of the church. They weren't the Pharisees and the, and the high priests and those types of people, right? Paul was a Pharisee, but very few of the Pharisees, some of them did, but very few of them made it. And for sure, none of the high priests made it. Uh, you know, uh, Caiaphas and Annas and those, all those guys, none of those made it across because they didn't want it. You know, they, they were entrenched in their religion uh, and in their legalism, and so they couldn't make it. So, so Jesus here, he's talking about the law in, back in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, he says, starting in verse uh, 17, he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. So anytime you see that phrase, law and the prophets, he's talking about the whole Old, Old Testament. Usually when the Jewish people were talking about the law, they were talking about the first five books of the Old Testament. The, uh, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The five, first five books of the law, they called that the, the books of the law. And then the prophets were, were all the prophets, right? The, the 12 prophets, the major prophets there in the Old, old Covenant. Uh, and then the, the third one was really the writings. And so, uh, but you often hear the law and the prophets. He said, I'm not come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, uh, you know, Jesus came to fulfill the law. But how many times did he get in trouble for not doing the law? You remember, remember when, he, when he healed the man or healed the, the woman uh, with the uh, spirit of infirmity on the Sabbath? And they got mad at him, right? I think we talked about this not long ago, uh, last week or two. But uh, they got mad at him. You know, you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath because they called that work, which is kind of a, a strange, strange uh, um, definition of work. Uh, but basically, you know, you could save someone's life, but you couldn't put a Band-Aid on them, right? Uh, you know, or you could put a Band-Aid on them, but you couldn't put any Neosporin on them, right? Because the Band-Aid would keep them alive, but the Neosporin, you know, will help them get better. So that's work. That's just dumb, right? I mean, we look at it and go, well, that's dumb. Well, how many laws are you keeping, right? Uh, and so, uh, so he, in one sense, he came to fulfill the law, but at the same time, according to their definition, he wasn't keeping the law. But who wrote the law? God wrote the law, right? He wrote it on tablets of stone, gave it to Moses, right? Then he told them the rest of the things to write down. And so the Lord wrote, and, and really, you know, I believe it was Jesus himself that was talking to Moses in those cases. You know, if you've got a different opinion, that's fine. Uh, but, you know, Jesus is the head of the church in the New Testament. He was probably the head of the law in the Old Testament. Uh, and so uh, he's, he's, he's the one who wrote the law. You know, God wrote the law, however you define him with Jesus or the Spirit of God or God the Father. God wrote the law in the Old Testament, and, and he still wasn't good enough for people in, in, on the earth, right? You ever notice that? Jesus appeared, and he still wasn't good enough. You're not nearly as good as we are. Uh, when, when Jesus isn't good enough for you, it, it's, man, you're, you're, you're intense, right? Uh, and so... Uh, but he said he came to fulfill it. Now, the thing, the, the law was never meant to be this rigid thing that you measured in a natural realm. Because didn't he say, the, you know, that, uh, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath? Remember, the, his, his uh, uh, disciples were walking through the field and were eating some of the wheat or corn or whatever it was in that field at the time. And they, why, why aren't you keeping the law? And he said, well, David didn't do it. Remember, David went into the, into the temple. There was a story where David was hungry. His men were, he was on, on the run from Paul or King Saul. And he was hungry. And they went in the temple and ate the, ate the bread. That was only there for the priests. And the, and the law was, if you, if you violated that, you were stoned to death or killed. And, you know, I mean, there was so much capital punishment, jaywalking, you know, and 
I mean, just so, I mean, you could just you just do anything. You get killed in the Old Testament, right? Uh, and that was one of the things you go and and, and dishonor the temple, then you could be killed. And yet David didn't. He wasn't killed. And Jesus made a point of it. He didn't. He was fine. He said, "I'm the Lord of the Sabbath." You know, it, it's always all the laws were supposed to be written in such a way. It was what's he trying to say? Like keep the Sabbath. What's he trying to say? Don't be so greedy. You work all the time. I want you to set aside time just to spend with me. That was the whole point of it. It wasn't about the law of you got to be, you know, this one day of, and you can't do anything. Well, what if you, you know, went to church the prior, prior six days? Maybe there's a revival going on. You went to every night of the revival. And Sunday, you know, uh, you, you still had some things to do. And, and you, after church on Sunday, you went and washed your car. You're supposed to keep the Sabbath holy. What about the other six days a week? Amen. It was never intended to be so rigid that, that there was no way out, right? Well, you're just looking for a loophole. You know, you keep the spirit of the law. What's the intent of these things? Why did Jesus write these things? Because according to the, the legal definition, he was a violator of the law throughout his time as a minister on the earth. In the three and a half years, he constantly violated the law by allowing his... He, he was there with the disciples when they ate on the Sabbath. He was, he was the one healing the, the people on the Sabbath. Many times he, helped, he healed people on the Sabbath. Uh, and, and, you know, my opinion was he just did it. Just, you know, a bunch of legalists stick his thumb in his eyeball. You know, I'm going to do what I, you don't like it too bad. I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. You know, some people are like, oh, Jesus, so he would never do that. I, uh, you know, I mean, in my opinion, my vote, he, hunted, he knew what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, he could have gone and met with her on a Tuesday. He could have gone and found her on a Tuesday. Hey, you know, daughter of Abraham. But I, he just waited to, you know, oh, wait, oh, oh, there's a religious guy. That's the one. I'm waiting for him to be here. Now you're healed, right? I mean, just, just you know, because that's kind of what I would do, right? <laughs> it just, I just, you know, just because uh, he just, the law is just, 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 just always trying to destroy people's lives, right? Put them in bondage all the time. Uh, and he said, I came to fulfill the law. In other words, you know, the way that I wrote it, I came to fulfill it. I'm the writer of it, so I'm going to show you how you're supposed to keep it. You walk in love. You be good to your fellow man. If you've if you got to do something that would, quote, violate the law, you know, on the Sabbath, because he said, remember, he said uh, when he healed the woman with the issue of blood or the, the spirit of infirmity, he said, you take care of your ox or your, or your ass on that day, right? Your donkey or your, or your ox on that day. And she's a daughter of Abraham. And they never got it. They never understood that, that it was about the spirit of the law. It was about what are you trying to do? What's the best for humanity? Amen. Don't be so greedy. You've got to work all the time. Amen. Uh, spend some time with me. And he said, but I say unto you, in verse 18, uh, till heaven and earth shall pass, not one jot or one tittle shall and knows why it passed from the law, till all, all be fulfilled. And jot and tittle is just, it's a part of the punctuation of the Hebrew language is what he's talking about. It's a, this little, you know, basically you're dotting your I's and you're crossing your T's, right? Not one uh, dotted I or one cross T will, uh, will pass away from the law. Now, again, when he says the law, he's talking about the way that he wrote it not the way that they interpreted it, because they have an entire books, textbooks, that they keep beside the law to explain them what the law means. So you've got to read the law, and you've got to read all the writings about the law in order to really understand what it means. And so uh, that Jesus like what it means what it means. Just, you know, if, if, it's, if it's a Sabbath day, and, and you've got to let your animal out, you know, to do its business, you let your animal out to do its business. If you've got to feed your animal, you do it. You know, if you've got to care for your kids, you do it. You know, if you've got to if guests showed up, you know, well, then you feed them. I mean, it's just, it's no big deal, right? Um, he said, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments uh, and 
shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So again, uh, this is from his perspective. He's writing this, right? He's saying this. So it's according to, he, according to what he dictated the law was supposed to be in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at, at some things here in the New Testament because he's trying to transition. And it was really, this is one of the hardest things to transition the, the nation of Israel out of, is out of the law into grace. Because they were, they, uh, the law, the problem with the law is the law, would, instead of finding out what the spirit of the law, the law became something that they measured in the natural realm. How many, you know, for example, don't work on the Sabbath. So the way they defined that was 2,000 steps. 2,000 steps was, was work. 1,999 steps was not work. So then they could measure that. They, somebody ran over the pencil going, counting steps. One, two, three, four. That's, and they, they loved the natural realm, right? They loved things they could measure, right? Things they could do. Yeah, and, and that way, they kept it entirely in this realm. Not in the spirit realm. Well, well what did the Lord really... You mean if my brother is dying over there and go, no, you're died right now, you can't. If you died here, I could do it, but you're died over there. I, sorry, I can't help you, right? Because I would take 2,000 steps to get to you right there, right? And, and, and sorry, you know, hope, hope, uh, hope your family makes it, right, without you, because uh, I can't help you. And that's, you know, they love the law. They love the natural law. They love to measure things in the natural realm. Because if they could do things, measure things in a natural realm, then they could figure out how I'm better than you. Because that was the whole goal, was not to be the way the Lord wants you to be, but just to be better than the guy next to you. Because if I can measure how good you are, then I can somehow figure out how to be better than that. I didn't have to be good, I just to be, be better than you, right? It's the same as, as the, you know, the old joke about, you know, you, 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 in the woods, right? And there's a bear, and... Uh, uh, you know, and your guy sitting, your, your friend that's with you says, how are we going to outrun the bear? And the guy says, well, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you, right? And that's the deal, right? So you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun run the guy next to you, right? And, 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 and so that's a real friend right there, right? Uh, and, and of course, if you're the girl, they always trip, right? Because they always trip or whatever, you know, so you, you, you hope that you're running with a girl because they're always trip. Every, every movie, oh, the girls always trip, right? I don't know why they, I don't, every girl in the movie is clumsy, right? Only when they're running from a bear, right? Otherwise, they can run a marathon. It's fine, right? But um, I don't know if I got to do anything, but, but that's the law. The law is, am I better than you? The law is, can I measure how good I am compared to you? Does the Lord care how good you are compared to the person sitting next to you? No, the Lord cares how good you are compared to him. That's the measure, right? He said, be holy as I'm holy. That's the measure, him. And, and we're all woefully behind where we could be on that or where we should be on that, but we've got to make the effort, right? We've got to strive to get better every day. Because if our measurement is a person sitting next to you, then you're in trouble. And so, in fact, uh, that's what he says over in uh, 2 Corinthians. We're in, well, I was in Galatians and Matthew, so we'll go back over to 2 Corinthians here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is writing this, and he says in verse 12, he says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. For they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. So people are measuring themselves by themselves uh, or comparing themselves among themselves. And when you start doing that, when you start comparing how spiritual you are compared to the person sitting next to you, you're going to find somewhere that you're better than them. And then you're going to get puffed up about it. Well, 
I go to church more than they go to church. Well, do you do anything at church? No, I'm just a lump there, but you know, uh, I, but I go more. I go more than they go, right? Uh, and uh, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're a single mom and got to work seven days a week, right? Well, she just should do better than that, you know. Uh, but see, we always want to compare ourselves among ourselves, right? I just got to be better than you. That's the law, right? That's the Old Testament law because it's all written down. Uh, in fact, you know, I, I got saved when I was 15. And I started reading the Old Testament. Now, look, if you don't know anything, so don't make fun of me, right? If you don't know anything, you're reading the Old Testament, you think, man, this is awesome. Don't do this. Don't do that. I think this is great. Just make a list. Here's all the things I can do. Here's all the things I can't do. And I, and I talked to somebody who knows something. I said, why didn't the Lord do that in the New Testament? Just make us a law. Just tell us all the things. Because then we don't have to think, right? Then we don't have to have the Spirit of God to tell us anything. We just do the law. And I thought, you know, of course, as a 15-year-old, that this is brilliant. I thought, just write down all the, here's all the good things, here's all the bad things, you know. Life is good, right? Now, now just think about how long that list would have to be to cover every scenario, right? You're driving a car. How many different things you could do wrong in a car, right? Drive too fast, drive too slow. I mean, a lot of people drive too slow, right? To me, that's a bigger sin than driving too fast. Way bigger <laughs> sin, right? Driving too slow. Driving in a fast lane when they're going slow. I mean, that, to me, that's almost stoning, you know, stone them all, right? Now, and, and so uh, what's the list? How long is it? The list will be forever long, right? Because it, it would have to cover every Well, it's never going to cover every scenario. Never going to do it. So the only way to do it is, he said, I'll place my law in their hearts. And I'm going to put my spirit in them. So they'll know every time, right? Those people that, uh, you know, everyone is going to be heathens, you know, don't know, don't know the spirit of God driving in a fast lane 30 miles an hour, you know, it just, it's the worst, right? And so, uh, but, but, the, but he said, uh, if you're comparing yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. That's the law, right? The purpose of the law is to do that right there, is to compare how good I am compared to you. Uh, and we still do that in the church. You know, it's amazing to me how people pick this one thing and they'll just preach, I mean, preach you into hellfire and damnation for this one thing, one sin, one specific sin, whatever that sin is. And it's always like, but you say that because you're not doing that one. But what about these other three you are doing? Oh, we don't want to talk about those three. We want to talk about the one that I'm not doing. And, that, and people will do that all the time. They'll pick the one sin. Well, I don't do that. Well, what, what do you do? Are you kind to your neighbor? Are you good to your parents? Are you good to the people around you? You know, well, I don't know about that, but I don't do that, you know. And so uh, we love to pick on one particular sin. And then we'll, uh, and, 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 you know, the, the problem with that, we're, we're, in, we're in 2 Corinthians. Go back to, to Galatians. We'll just uh, run this little rabbit path for a while. So we're going to go back the other direction there. Back in Galatians chapter 6. Paul said, brethren, in verse 1, if a man be overtaken in a fault... You which are spiritual, condemn them and list all their sins on the five o'clock news so everybody knows about their sin, right? Is that what it says? You which are spiritual, restore such a one. You know, the, 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 the point, uh, if you see your brother in a fault, right? This is what he says, right? If you see overtaken in a fault, well, that means they've been consumed by some sin, right? Some sin has, cons some sin has consumed them and caused them to fall. And our first job is to condemn them all and throw them out of the church, right? Is that, is that what we're supposed to do? No. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, sometimes I wonder about the church, you know. It's like, well, you know, we, we threw all these people without sin. We threw these people with sin out of the church. I'm thinking, well, I mean, I know you got to, look, I, if, if they're sinning publicly and flaunting it, yeah, you got to deal with that, right? I mean, they're just coming in and just, you know, whatever they're doing, you know, uh, 
if they're doing it in a in a boisterous way or something, you know, then you you got to deal with it, right? I mean, if it's public knowledge, you got to deal with it. But but how many sins do we all have right now? And don't I want to list? Don't do me raise your hand. But how many sins you reckon are in the church right now? In this church right now? You want a list? I mean, I got a list right here. Uh, I mean, how many things? Uh, you know, were you kind to your husband yesterday? Were you kind to your dog yesterday? Did you you know did you do right yesterday? Just just yesterday, right? How many sins can we bring out right now? But we're going we're gonna, to, you know, other people, you know, sins that, that they're doing that I'm not doing out of the church, right? And, and but what's the goal? What did Paul, what's the goal of, of Galatians 6.1? He said, do what? What are you supposed to do with them? Restore them, right? Now, look, do some people not want to be restored? Absolutely. Some people love their sin, will never get rid of the sin, don't want to get rid of the sin. Well, then sometimes you've got to move on. That's, that's 100% true right? But, it, but your first go-to is not shoot, shoot them all and burn the rest, right? Your first go-to is, can I restore them? Can they be restored? Can we help them get to where they need to be? Because they're in, they're, they're in a fault, right? Brethren, right? He said, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you were just spiritual, restore such a one. In a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. That last part of the verse there's something about the law of sowing and reaping. If you choose to just harp on somebody's sin over and over again, you're going to wake up one day with, that same, with the same desire to do that sin, didn't even know it. Uh, and I can't tell you how many times preachers will get and just put you into, into, into the pits of hell for one sin, and then you, you wake up tomorrow and they're on the 5 o'clock news for doing that very thing. And they probably weren't doing it two days ago, but because they just want to just condemn everybody for doing that sin, and look, are we excusing sin? We never excuse sin. Is all sin wrong? All sin is wrong. All sin is against the law of God. All sin is against the Spirit of God. Amen. Anything that misses the mark, it's wrong. We don't approve of it. We don't accept it. We don't allow it. We don't, we're not thankful for it. We don't, say, we, we don't say, well, it's just who they are. No, it's all wrong. But how we deal with that should be according to the Word of God. Amen. Really, it's according to the New Testament. And so Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, right? And he said, he said don't be... Uh, Breaking the law and then teaching uh, men that they should keep the law. That's a, that's a hypocrite, right? Oh, yeah. uh, and again, you know, the, the, the tough part about being a minister is <clears throat> if I tell you not to do, do something, I need to not be doing that too, right? Uh, and sometimes, you know, in fact, I think there were, there were times when we were talking about in Philippians, right, about not murmuring and griping and complaining, right? There's, there's a Bible that says don't be doing that. And, and, uh, and so, you know, in that, when you're preaching that, you really have to be preaching it and sitting on the front row at the same time, right? Because I probably have murmured and griped and complained way too much, amen? Uh, and so sometimes you're preaching to yourself uh, as a minister, amen? You all can leave. I need to preach myself for just a few minutes if that's all right, right? Uh, and so... But, but what about the law? We live in the New Testament, right? And, and so there's still, even in the New Testament, there, there's still in a church, there's still a struggle, right? Uh, anybody got a Ten Commandment uh, sign on there? Don't tell me. Actually, don't tell me. I want to know. Uh, you know, because we had some guy come around, you know, have got these Ten Commandment signs. Place one in your front yard. But do we keep the Ten Commandments today? Are the Ten Commandments on the list of things we've got to do, right? Don't, you know, have no other gods before me. Don't take the name in vain, right? Uh, don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder. Now, don't be covetous of your neighbor's wife. You know, uh, that's not all 10 of them, but that's a lot of them. Uh, well, let's see, what, let's see what Paul said. Amen. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10 to begin with. And so, uh, of course, Paul said here 
in Romans chapter 10, uh, in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. End of the law. He said he came to fulfill the law, not to do away with the law, but Paul said he came, he, he's the end of the law. Well, you know, it's, it's all a little bit of a play on words because it, we're in, in chapter 10. Just turn over to chapter 13 there and, and we could see what he means by that. In chapter 13, uh, Paul said here, still Paul writing, right? Uh, he said, he starts talking about the law of love. And he said, love, now this word love there, there there's at least three, three Greek words for love. One of, one of them is philia, which is, uh, uh, we, we named this, the city of Philadelphia after that. It's called the city of brotherly love, right? Because the, the definition of that Greek word is brotherly love, right? That's, that's really uh, deep, I know, but, um, uh, but that's, that's one type of law, but this uh, one type of love, but this love here is the agape love, that's for God so loved the world love, right? That uh, it's, the, it's the God kind of love. And he said, love, God kind of love, works no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So if you keep the law, right, one of the Old Testament laws is thou shalt not steal. So that's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Don't steal. In other words, don't commit adultery. So, but if you walked in love, would you ever want to steal from somebody? If you walked in agape love, I love my neighbor as myself, I love them like the, like the love of God, would you ever want to steal from them? Would you ever want to kill them? Would you ever want to commit adultery uh, against them? No, so if you, if you actually walk in love, the real love of God, would you, the fool of this love, because also in Romans chapter 5, you go back just a few more chapters there, he said... Um, <clears throat> In verse 5, and hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God, again, that same love, that agape love, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So the love of God is in my heart right now. As a child of God, I have the agape love of God in me right now. Every child of God, every Christian on the earth has the supernatural, unlimited love of God in them right now. Now, they don't always yield to that, but it's there, right? Uh, you ever known to do right, but don't do it? Don't do it anyway, right? I know I shouldn't have said that, but I said it anyway. Uh, you ever done that? Well, none of you all done that. You know, I've heard of people doing that. Uh, and so, uh, uh, but the love of God, the true love of God, the pure love of God would never harm, right? Work no ill to his neighbor. Your neighbor would include your spouse, you know, your friend, your, your actual neighbor, right? Your boss, your mom, your dad, your children. It includes everybody, right? Uh, would work no ill towards his neighbor. So you don't need a law that says, don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't covet your neighbor's wife, if you walk in love. You don't need all those laws like that because it does, those 10 laws don't cover every scenario. Love covers every scenario. What would love do? What would the love of God do right now? What would the love of God do in this situation? Right? Amen? Uh, and so, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the stories that I always love with Brother Hagen, uh, you know, Brother Hagen, he was in a ministry for 70 years, and, um, you know, he had at least seven or eight visions, visitations from the Lord Jesus, you know, and tell the stories there. And, and, and all of these things, you've always got to, to see, does any of this stuff that was said violate the word of God? And none of them did. You know, I've listened to them many times and they don't violate the word of God. So you've got to judge them as being so. Uh, and, you know, if you don't believe it, that's fine. You know, not a problem. But, but he, he had a, uh, a large ministry 
all kinds of healings in his ministry. And, uh, you know, he had prayed for, he said he had uh, at least 10,000 people that he prayed for received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the speaking in tongues. And the Lord said, quit counting. So he quit counting after 10,000. Well, that's a, a few thousand more than I've prayed for, for those baptisms of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but that wasn't really what defined his ministry as far as I'm concerned. What defined his ministry as far as I'm concerned was his relationship and walking in love. Uh, and he knew how to walk in love probably better than anybody I know. Uh, and there was a time when he, was, he went to go minister for a pastor. He was traveling minister at the time. And uh, he gets there. And, um, you know, normally when a, you have a traveling minister, you've got to care for them, right? Take care of their food and their, their housing. And, and that day, it was rare that you went to a hotel. You usually stayed at the pastor's house, right? And so nowadays, you know, there, there's more hotels and nicer hotels. And so most of the time we have ministers stay at a hotel. Well, we've always, I guess, never, no one's ever spent a night with us, right? I don't know if I want them spending a night with me, right? I mean, I wanna, may want to watch TV or something and, you know, a little loud. And, you know, it's my TV. I'll play it as loud as I want to, right? And so, uh, and well, you shouldn't play it that loud. Well, whatever. But, uh, and so, uh, but that, back then he stayed with the pastor. So he's at the pastor's house. And uh, the first night they go, they go to the service. He does the service. They come back. He said, well, sometimes, you know, it depends on the minister. Do they want to eat before the service, after the service? So they didn't eat before. So he's assuming they're going to eat afterwards. They get home. As soon as they get home, the pastor goes to the bed, straight to bedroom. Doesn't offer many food. It's really odd, you know. And so, uh, so they get up the next morning thinking, well, you know, because he's traveling with his wife, uh, maybe they're going to fix us a big breakfast, right? He gets up. They're gone. And it's really odd, you know, and they look around, there's no food in the, you know, fridge, you know, no food in the cupboard or anything, and, and well, maybe they just went to go get food, right? Well, all day long, they're waiting. Never come back with any food, and they come back to the house right in time to go to the church, and they grab and go to the church, and maybe read afterwards. Same, same thing, rinse and repeat. Come back after church, the meeting to go to bed. Don't say anything, not say anything about food, right? And this goes on for like three days. After about the third day, they start rummaging, they find like a hot dog and a couple crackers, you know, and and uh, uh, but still nothing right and 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 it was really you know that gets really weird after a while you know with things that are weird but they don't want to talk about it being weird you ever been around the situations like that how come we don't talk? You, have you seen the big elephant in the room how come nobody's talking about this right here right it's nobody's feeding him but nobody's saying anything about it right like hey we don't feed our pastors you know what i mean our ministers that's really weird and so about the third day uh he said well, i'm gonna go call the superintendent of this denomination because you know he shouldn't be this pastor shouldn't be treating us this way well is that fair to call the superintendent of the denomination right that's a kind of a loaded question right there right well that's what i'd do i'd call him right now you know fire them all fire him and everything right and burn the rest and uh, and so uh, he he left the room went down now back in the day remember uh, there used to be one phone in a hallway on a little phone table right and remember and it had long cord right and and you always hoped you got a cord that was like at least 20 feet long that way you could go down the hall in the kitchen right and talk to him but uh, but then, then God invented, you know, uh, uh, the 20th century, right? Uh, and so, uh, so he went down there calling, came back, and his wife said, what did, he, what did he say? He said, I couldn't do it. He said, my heart would not let me do it. He said, I can't, I can't be part of this man's failure. That's what he said. Because if he called him, because Brother Hagen was well-respected in the circles of that denomination, he could have called him and said, this pastor is not doing right. You need to rebuke him and take him out of his position. They'd probably done it because he was well regarded in his, in his denomination but he said but if i do that then his failure is on me uh, you know i'm the cause of, of now you know the thing about it is these things will take care of themselves right uh, but for us you know do we are we going to be part of somebody else's failure right because uh, that wasn't galatians 6 1 that wasn't part of restoring anybody 
Uh, and so he said, I, I just can't do it. And, and, and of course, later on, the, the pastor ended up leaving the ministry just by himself. He just, you know, he's just going to fail in that way all by himself. He doesn't need my help to do that. Uh, and so people say, well, over the years, uh, people have accused Brother Hagin of being someone with, with, uh, with, with a character flaw. He doesn't want to deal with things. But see, the, what they don't realize is he did deal with it. He looked at it with love versus his actions that he could have done and said, you know, I, I can't cause this man to be a failure. Uh, and now people say, well, then, you know, that, that pastor got one over on him. That pastor took advantage of him. No, Brother Hagin uh, had a very large internationally known ministry by the time he took his last breath on the earth. But, you know, he wasn't that way for many years, but the Lord promoted him and increased him to, do, to get to that position. What, do you, what are you willing to do to get to the position that God wants you to be in? Uh, are you, are you going to get, get there by stepping on the backs of everybody in front of you? Because a lot of people, you know, they're so full of selfish ambition, they'll burn everybody to get to where they want to go. So, so the law of love is the fulfillment of, I came to fulfill the law, right? He came to fulfill the law by putting his love in us. That allows us to fulfill the law. That way we don't have to go, well, let me go uh, refer to my list of do's and don'ts and see if this is on there, right? And if it's not, well, then I can do it. But not if it's going to cause somebody else harm, right? So, so now in every situation, all you got to do is look at the situation and go, you know, God, you're the, you're the God of love. What would you do in this case? As a loving God, what would you do? As a loving God, what, what should I do? You live, your love lives on the inside of me. What should I do? Now, sometimes you've got to correct people, right? You can do that in love. Amen. Did Jesus turn over the tables in love? He did. He went to the, into the temple, turned the tables over, whipped them in love. That sounds hard to believe, but, you know, sometimes that's necessary, right? Uh, but, you know, he wasn't doing that all the time. Amen. Because he's, he's going to start talking about some other things in the next section here about uh, anger in different areas. Uh, but the thing about Jesus fulfilling the law, he came to show us that love is to fulfilling the law by God so loved the world I'm going to show you here's how you fulfill the law you walk in the love of God that's on the inside of you that's my goal is to get this love on the inside of you and that will automatically fulfill the law and none of it will ever ever have to be done away with people always want to go yeah but what's what's my list what's my list of do's and don'ts that way I can compare myself to you but if, if all you want to do is compare yourself to me and finding a house more spiritual you are than me I've already lost because you're going to find something that you're more spiritual about me than I am. That's why I need you, because if, if you're more spiritual about an, in an area than I am, I need that. I need to find out what you're doing that's better than I am. That's how we work together. Instead of, instead of using that as a competitive advantage of, I'm better than you in this, therefore I'm better than you, well, then that's, that's, the, that's complete failure of God's desire. He wants us to work together that where you're strong, and I'm weak, then I, I, I draw from your strength and fi find out how you did that, and I grow. Instead of condemning each other for every single thing we do, why don't we do what Galatians 6.1 says and restore each other? Amen? And, and will there be times when you have to separate? Absolutely. There'll be times when you say, you need to leave. No problem at all. You know, I got no problem with that. If, if, that's, if that's the case, if they're incorrigible and just refuse to repent, Fine, we move on, right? Let, let, the, let, that, let, let, let somebody else deal with that because sometimes they'll listen to somebody else that, other than you. Amen? Fine, right? No problem. But that's not, my first go-to is not shoot them and burn the rest, right? My first go-to is, Lord, how do I restore them? Because that's, that's what Galatians 6 1 says. You which are spiritual, restore those that have fallen, right? The, he, you don't have to restore people that are perfect, amen? 
You've got to restore people that have fallen in sin. And so that's my first go-to. Can I restore them? And, and I'll, I'll work with people for years if I have to. No problem at all. Amen? So many people write people off. Well, I don't like your sin. You know, whatever, right? Uh, that's not the fulfilling of the law. The fulfilling of the law is I have the love of God shed abroad in my heart right now. I can always know exactly what to do that's right in every situation. What would love do? What would the agape love of God do? Not what would the love that the world says love, because see, the world says that love is you accept everybody and you approve of everything. No. Sometimes love says that's sin right there. I'm not putting anybody in particular, right? You know, that's sin over there, right? That's sin. You can't do that. That's love. Sometimes that's love, right? Sometimes love says you've got to straighten that up. No problem at all, right? Love is not accepting and, and overlooking and, and approving. That's not love. That's not the love of God. That's the love of the world. Amen. The love of God says uh, sin will always destroy your life. And I care about you enough to not leave you in your sin. So because if you really love somebody, you wouldn't let them stay in their sin. Right. That, that's the problem in the church is is we want to burn them for their sin instead of helping them get out of their sin. Amen. And the world says there's no sin. Well, that's not true. There's plenty of sin, right? All kinds of sin. Amen. And we have a hard time of dealing with that. But if we deal with the love, yeah, that's wrong. And it's going to hurt you. I love you enough to tell you that. Because I love you, not because I want to harm you, right? So uh, you've got to decide, and we'll finish up there, but you've got to decide in your, in your situation, can you restore somebody without desiring to harm them and, 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 and really hurt them because they're in sin? Because some people want to want to uh, harm people because they're in their sin. Sins that we don't like, right? Sins that we would never do. Uh, other sins would be okay because we do those, but sins that we don't like, we, you know, we, we want to harm people and really hurt them for doing that particular sin. But uh, love will never accept a sin, doesn't approve of any sin, doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't overlook a sin. Uh, now, sometimes the Lord says just, you know, let it ride, it'll take care of itself. Amen? There's been lots of times in this ministry when I've known there's people in sin, involved in sin, that, you know, needs to be dealt with. And the Lord said, just right now, just don't do anything about it. And they'll just leave the ministry. And instead of causing, because sometimes, you know, even if it's a sin, if, if I called it out, or, you know, and I don't call things out publicly, you know, I'll deal with it in private. But even if I dealt with it privately, people, other people get offended because I did that and will leave and get mad. And, and it caused rifts and, and problems in the church because, you know, everybody's at different places in their spiritual walk with the Lord. And, Sometimes they don't like being dealt with, right? And so, so you can deal with it, but uh, you, know, you shouldn't be dealing with it like a bull in a china shop. Well, if there's sin, I've got to go tell them right now. Has the Lord told you all your sins that you're doing right now? How many, how many sins you reckon that you've got in your life that the Lord has not dealt with yet? That he will, but he hasn't dealt with today, right? Uh, I bet there's a whole long list for all of us, amen? Uh, and he'll deal with it in his, in his timing. And so... Sometimes you've got, to let it, you've got to let it ride according to the, to the will of God, and he'll deal with it, right? Some of them, uh, in fact, all the ones that were really, really bad, they took care of themselves. Now, that's not, my, that's not my general plan on dealing with sin. If the Lord says, you go talk to him, and, and there's people I've had to go talk to. This sin right here, no. Uh, and, and I got no problem with that, right? Because uh, my goal is to restore. My goal is to walk in love, Amen. So love says, what would love do? Well, sometimes love says, don't say anything. Sometimes love says, you go confront them. Sometimes love says, you pray for them. Sometimes, you know, it, it's, there's no law. That's the problem with, with, with uh, uh, the New Testament. It's not a problem, but some people think it is. There's no 
uh, exact same way to cover every scenario. You can have the exact same scenario two days in a row and love will say deal with it one way one day and a completely different way the next day because love considers the person involved in that situation. So there's no law. I can't tell you how you deal with every circumstance. Only the Spirit of God can tell you that. Only the, lo- only the love of God can tell you that. Amen? But if you'll, if you'll endeavor to walk in love and, to, and, and what Romans 13, 10 says, love works no ill towards his neighbor. If you're doing anything that would cause your neighbor harm, right, then that's a violation of, lo- of the law of love. And it's a violation of the whole, the whole law of God because the, the only law today is the law of love. That's it. There's only one law. And so if you, if you violate that law by uh, causing ill towards your neighbor with the intention of causing ill, right? Sometimes you just say hello and that, that ruins their whole day, right? Well, that's not on you. That's on them. But if, if, you're, if you go and, uh, you know, whatever, pour salt on their yard or something, you know, uh, well, you know, that's, uh, that's working ill towards your neighbor. Amen. And there's a violation of the law of God. So, so Jesus came to fulfill the law. But he came to fulfill it the way he, as a writer of the law, chose to fulfill it by replacing all those do's and don'ts with one law of law of love. And that covers every, good, every scenario, and it's a great law, amen? But you're going to have to work at it. You gotta, every day you've got to get up and say, I walk in the love of God. The love of God lives on the inside of, inside of me. I choose to walk by love. Not a doormat, right? Not love according to the way the world says love, but love the way that you want me to walk in love, Lord, right? If I've got to turn over some tables, praise God, I'll turn over a table, no problem, right? If I've got to get a whip and chains out, no problem, right? Whatever it takes. Uh, and so, and sometimes you just don't say anything. Uh, well, I got to say something. Well, sometimes the law of love says don't say anything. Amen. And so, uh, uh, and we'll, we'll close with this. Uh, part of the problem with, with this particular type of teaching is people will take that and, and, and misconstrue it, right? Love becomes acceptable, uh, acceptance and approval and al- allowing of all sin. That is not the love of God. Amen. Uh, and, and just to repeat what was said earlier, if, if you see someone in sin, the love of God in you will look at them with compassion and go, Lord, that sin will hurt their life. And that's where we've got to get to. When we can see the sin in somebody else and know that that sin is going to harm them, that will motivate us to, to, Lord, what do you want me to do to help them? I'll start by praying for them. Sometimes I'll go to them. Sometimes I'll get somebody else involved. You know, whatever it is, but the love of God will ha- allow the compassion to rise up because you know that sin will hurt them. And that's the key, right? All sin will hurt you. All sin will drive you towards death. Amen? And if I see that in your life, then that compassion of me will rise up and go, Lord, I don't want them hurt. I don't want them to see destruction. I don't want them to see their life ruined because of their sin. Or even, you know, somewhat hurt. You know, it doesn't have to be always end up in complete destruction and total disarray. It could just be they get cold towards the Lord, right? Or just something, you know, uh, that doesn't end in death. Amen. And so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for the word. And, Father, we thank you that you are the fulfillment and completion of the law, Father, because you, you replaced the, the letter of the law in the old covenant with the law of love in the new covenant. And so, Father, we, we, we have the capacity as children of God to fulfill your law 100% each and every day in our lives by walking in your love. Your love lives in me, Father agape love the love of god that that motivated you to send your very son for the whole world that same love lives on the inside of me to motivate me father to give my life to whatever i need to give it to father and so lord we thank you for that we give you the praise and the honor for it, lord in jesus name amen
Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? You know, it's, uh, especially if you come from kind of old school, kind of, uh, and even, I don't know if it's limited to Pentecostal, but, but kind of the old school uh, um, religious mentality, talking about doing away with the Ten Commandments is nearly heresy, right? But we're not done away with the Ten Commandments. We fulfill the Ten Commandments, amen, by, by walking in love, amen? So that's why I asked you if anybody got the Ten Commandments hanging on their house you know, or in the yard or something. I don't because I just have the one law, right? I walk in love and everything else is taken care of. So well, uh, let's get ready to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Amen. Has the Lord been good to us? Yes. Has he been good and kind to us to give us jobs and, and income and those types of things? Uh, it's it's a, a blessing to give to the Lord. Amen. And so we thank you for your faithfulness in giving and, and the Lord's been gracious to us. And so let's pray and thank the Lord for the opportunity to give today. So Father, we thank you that it's a blessing to give. In fact, you said, Father, in your word, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Father, because you've been so good to us. And so, Father, with, with thanksgiving and kindness, we give to you. We give into your kingdom. We thank you, Father, that as we give, that your kingdom is advanced. That your vision, specifically for this ministry, Father, is completed. And so, Father, we thank you that as we sow into this ministry, we have a part in this ministry. Father, for all the fruit that this ministry produces, we have a part in that. And so, Lord, we thank you that as we're faithful to give, that according to your word, Father, you said that with good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into our bosom. We thank you that you are a man of your word, that you will always take care of us and, and provide for us. And so, Father, we give freely and thankfully uh, it, because of your kindness. And we give you all the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Uh, Jared, come ahead and receive the offering. Uh, and... Um, uh, don't forget that food is there in the kitchen, and uh, we'll go through the stuff that we have right now, and we'll put a list probably on the, on the uh, slides there about the kind of foods that we can use, and that way um, we get a good, uh, a good amount of food for people that we can, uh, we can help, amen? Uh, and so, uh, and uh, I think there'll be some work to put those food boxes together, uh, unless somebody's, has somebody already done all that? Okay, got started on that, so... All right, praise God. So, um, let's see, I guess that's it, right? It seems like there's something else going on, but uh, I guess there's always something going on somewhere, right? So, uh, what's that? That's right, at 3 o'clock we got healing school, amen? And uh, uh, I, I love healing school, amen? Uh, and uh, I, I wondered when we started, you know, how long could we do this? I don't see any end of sight, do you? You know, and so there's just uh, so much uh, rich doctrine and word of God about healing, Amen. Well, be blessed. Have a wonderful week in the Lord, and you're dismissed.